The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Ready to move from your good life to one that is amazing? Then you've tuned in to the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, Senior Minister of First Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you the tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is amazing. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Hi, I'm Temple Hayes, and thanks so much for joining us this afternoon from Good to Amazing. We have been so blessed over these last few weeks to have just some incredible individuals. And today we are so fortunate to have Jennifer Tresh, who has written a beautiful novel entitled Between the Bars. Not only does it reach your heart and touch you, but it's cause-oriented and teaches all of us that we can move tragedy to a place of goodness and to amazing. Welcome, Jennifer. I'm so delighted that you're here with us on the show today. I am thrilled to be here. Thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. It's my pleasure. I've had the opportunity to look through your book, and immediately what I was so um, moved by was your ability to be just truthful, authentic, um, and express your feelings of your entire story. Give us an overview, if you would, please, of some of the real-life events that that brought you to the place that you are today in, in writing this book. Well, I think um, the catalyst, first of all, for the book was um, the death of my daughter. Uh, my daughter, Elena, died at the just before her sixth birthday, and I essentially kind of went into my typical mode of, you know, everything will be all right if we just keep busy, busy, busy. And, um, you know, immediately I went into, I need to have another daughter. I need to have another child. And, you know, that's going to make it okay. And then, um, you know, I was pregnant quickly, which is something that, you know, many parents do when they lose a child. And I gave birth to my son. And, you know, at the time that was just, you know, wait a minute, this isn't right. It's supposed to be a, another daughter. I already have a son. And, you know, and uh, of course today he's absolutely the shining light of my life. But um, I just kept going and, you know, I was going to have another baby and uh, have that little girl that would make it all better. And I eventually had a daughter two years later and um, it was this deep, painful reality that this was not the daughter that I lost and this was not a replacement and things weren't better and things weren't going to get better and I, um, you know, sought refuge through work and all kinds of alternative um, outlets and namely um, pain medication and ultimately that took me down a you know pretty dark road of just deep deep depression and got to the point where you know the only thing I could really do um, was 
to work and I could walk aimlessly through shopping malls, which um, was quite an experience and is very well not documented in the book. Mm-hmm. But essentially, I ended up in a treatment center um, after a suicide, pseudo-suicide attempt, and um, I had, you know, the, the irony was at the time that I owned a treatment center, and I was very much in touch with, um, you know, the process, but this was the, you know, the ultimate bottom for me was, you know, here I was just, I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even kill myself right. And ultimately, I met a very spiritual man in in this program, and it was life-changing. And I left there with uh, a newfound sense of um, peace. And it, it wasn't, you know, it was fleeting, and it kind of came and went, but... Um, almost immediately, I had a very, very strong spiritual awakening, if you will, um, at, and, it, and it was very much involving my daughter. And I left there with the intensity of, I need to do something with my life that helps people that were experiencing the same thing that I did. You know, when we, when our daughter was diagnosed, we didn't fit into the norm. We didn't fit into the you know, the people that didn't have enough money to pay bills and we didn't fit into the category of, you know, receiving certain aid. And I didn't know where to go or what to do. And I was pretty much left to fend for myself. And, you know, how do you find clinical trials and how do you network? And, you know, if it was my son's birthday, I couldn't think about my son's birthday. I could barely function thinking about saving my daughter. Um, And I wanted to be able to help families um, that were experiencing that. And not just terminal illness, but anybody with a chronic, debilitating, life-changing kind of process. And in a matter of about two weeks, I wrote this book. And it was a crazy catharsis of all kinds of, you know, my life story. And we kind of changed it, and it evolved into um, humor, and it evolved into a, well... You know, I don't want to hurt anybody with this story, so I can't really say some of the things that I was going to say. And, you know, so then we turned it into sort of a mystery suspense thriller, but it was, you know, largely based on, on my life. And um, it's, been, it's been a journey. I, I, you know, I started a foundation in my daughter's name, and um, the book has been uh, filled with um, a lot of meeting a lot of new people, meeting some new experiences. And, you know, we won an honorable mention in the L.A. Book Festival, which is huge for us because, you know, I certainly didn't write it to be a bestseller, but um, I donated it to the foundation. And, and it's a story of hope, and it's a story that's moving, um, that kind of sends the message that no matter where you are or what's gone wrong or what you've done wrong, you can start it over. And, and that's, sort of, um, that's sort of it in a nutshell, a long-winded nutshell, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's incredible the, the walk that you've had in life. And one of the things that inspired me to want to do this radio show is that, you know, we forget often uh, in our communities and in the people right next door to us what 
people actually endure. And part of the belief system that I've always had is that we're born with so much energy, you know, with a certain um, ability and purpose. And then we go through life and challenges, and in your case, an extreme challenge uh, that so many of us would have even difficulty grasping how you coped and survived it. But yet, ideally, I still believe that on the other side of these tragedies, um, we can still live, we can still use the tragedy to become part of our great storytelling, and we can use the tragedy to make a difference not only in our own lives but in the lives of other people. And having spoken with you before, that is a key part that impresses me so much about you is that where a lot of people would have, you know, given up, um, taken refuge and says, oh, just forget about it, or stayed medicated. We have a lot of people now that are medicated, Um, not meditated, but medicated. And to see how you have taken this defining moment and then turning it into your ability to be more uh, and be a better mother uh, to the two existing children that you have, I think is a remarkable story and a story that encourages everyone to dig deeper and to keep walking. I, I love that statement. If you haven't arrived to where you're supposed to be, you're not done yet. Right, Jennifer? Exactly. <laughs> you're, just, you're just not done yet. Um, how did you come to realize that um, Elena had an illness? How, tell uh, the audience about what that looked like in your life at that particular time. Uh, well, she, you know, I, I think every mother wants to think their child is unique and special and, um, you know, possessed some extraordinary or extraordinary uh, qualities. And, you know, it is very evident to me that uh, in many ways, you know, Elena did what what she had to do. She survived and she coped and just as any child would under those circumstances, sometimes better than other times. But, um, you know, she was an unusual child in the sense that, you know, she walked when she was eight and a half months. She never crawled. She went straight to walking. Um, she, I grew up in an environment with um, deafness. Well, actually, I didn't grow up. My mother was um, deaf, but she didn't learn sign language till later in life. Um, so my early career, my late teens and my early career, I was, I was um, embracing her deafness and sign language. So um, by the time Elena came, sign language was a very prominent part of my life, and therefore she, you know, she could uh, sign with fluency, and she was just, uh, you know, a really advanced in in that capacity type of child. But in many ways, there were issues that, you know, she always had trouble swallowing. I always had to cut her food up very small and, you know, small pieces. And I was always, you know, she would always say, I coached. And, you know, for I choked. And, you know, we used to, I mean, I can remember as as early as she could say it, she would say, "I, I coached, I coached. And, 
you know, so that, you know, that got kind of written off by the doctors as her tonsils were very large. She had issues with, you know, in chronic infections, as many young children do. And, you know, she had a, a little bit of a lazy eye, but it wasn't always prominent. And, you know, that kind of got written off into, well, you know, that's, that'll straighten itself out. And if not, you know, there are corrective measures for that later in life. And, um, you know, she was about three and a half and, you know, actually just before her fourth birthday. And she was very... Um, liked to be by herself, would be in her own kind of world, um, moved her to a Montessori program because she just seemed sort of like one of those children that, you know, would excel in areas in her own time, in her own way. And, you know, but she had so many different gifts about her. She was very, very much a, a caring child, very giving, um, but, some, you know, somewhat delayed in some areas. And when it was her school that actually said to me, um, we really think she needs a developmental evaluation. And, you know, when you first hear that, you're just incensed. You know, there's nothing wrong with my child. My child's gifted. And, you know, oh, they're, you know, how dare you kind of thing. And, and you know, that was essentially the attitude we took. Um, but, you know, they, they pointed out that there were, there were some issues with, um, picking up a fork or holding a spoon. Um, she seemed to have difficulty walking upstairs. And, you know, we had an upstairs, and we never noticed that. So when we got home, we kind of watched her walk up the stairs, and we noticed that she was kind of balanced, you know, balancing funny. And she, um, so we agreed to get the evaluation. And the morning of the evaluation, she woke up with a left-sided hemiparesis. And, um, you know, she was essentially partially paralyzed on her left side. Um, oh and she was dragging her foot and holding her arm in a funny way, and her face looked a little little bit distorted, not majorly, but, you know, so we rushed her in to, the, to our pediatrician, um, and he sent her over for an emergency uh, MRI. And at, what, at that point... Um, we thought it was an abscess because she had had her tonsils out and they thought that, you know, she could have developed an abscess or, you know, so we were all kind of like, well, that's treatable. Let's just find out what it was. And, you know, within uh, moments of the MRI, um, the doctor actually came out in tears and said that, you know, essentially I have terrible news for you. And, um that, you know, informed us that she had a brain tumor and it was in a location that was inoperable and it was terminal. And, um, you know, they gave her uh, 9 to 11 months. Um, and, you know, that that was, you know, the moment that you, you know, you just realize life as you know it is, is gone. Mm-hmm. The defining moment that, that we call that that. That day that all of a sudden the sun went down and, and you really didn't feel like it was going to be coming up, that's for sure. Absolutely. How much longer after diagnosis were you able to have her with you? Um, she lived actually for 22 months, which was um, which is very rare. Um, and we tried a lot of um, different uh, medication approaches. We ended up fighting to get a chemotherapy that was not protocoled yet. We did a lot of holistic stuff. 
We did some healing stuff. Um, we did guided imagery. I think all of those things played a, played a role in, in her longer time than, than most of her peers. Uh, but she essentially, within that 22 months, we had a couple of very close calls with, with death. And, you know, those created their own moments of, um, you know, questioning and, and wondering. And actually, when one of those occurred, one of the doctors said, why are you prolonging this? Let her go. And, you know, that moment of where you just accept that, you know, do you accept it? Or do you say, I'm going to do whatever I can to save my child? And, and, and we ended up having four of the most beautiful months ever after that time. So I, I don't have regrets. But it was a very stressful, um, debilitating time for our family. Oh, of course. And, you, you know, just the fact of like you're saying, I mean, by accepting it, do we make it real? Or are we um, able to, oh, let's pretend it's not happening and, and we feel that that could buy us some more time. Um, very, very complex situation um, for anyone that has been a parent and is facing uh, a terminal illness with, with the child. Well, we are going to be taking a break. And after the break, I would like to hear what you have been doing since then, and tell us about the um, the cause that you are so dedicated to, uh, to the memory and to the further work of communities to help other parents and families that face the same situation. I'm Temple Hayes, and thank you so much for joining us today. We are with Jennifer Tresh, and we are uh, exploring uh, ways in which she and her family have walked from tragedy and turned it into creating a cause. Uh, Thank you for joining us, and we'll be right back after a short break. Our goal at Unity Online Radio is to continue expanding our spiritual programming and growing our listening audience. To help us become an ever stronger voice in today's world, we ask for your support. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. thousand and eighty eight hours that's how long most of us will spend at work this year you'll spend about the same amount of time sleeping so when does that leave time for the stuff that really matters like your spiritual practice the good news is your spirituality doesn't have to be separate from your job it can and should be woven into everything you do especially in the workplace new from unity books good business putting spiritual principles into practice at work Charlotte Shelton, co-host of the Unity Online radio show, Good Business, brings you insights from some of her top guests. Learn from 20 good business leaders, including Brian Tracy, Rianne Eisler, Peter Block, Daryl Connor, and Margaret Wheatley. They'll show you how to bring spiritual principles into alignment with best business practices to create thriving, sustainable organizations 
and fulfilling lives for the people who work in them. Make the most of your 2,088 hours. Tune in to Good Business Mondays at 4 p.m. Central and purchase the new book, Good Business, online today at www.unitybooks.org. You have a good life and are grateful for it. But what if you stretched beyond good and shifted to amazing? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, Senior Minister of the First Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an amazing life. Transcend the need for acceptance of others and be an example of living the truth. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an amazing life right now? Learn how each week on From Good to Amazing, Mondays at 4 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for From Good to Amazing with Reverend Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at amazing at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Hi, and welcome back to From Good to Amazing. And we're here this afternoon with Jennifer Trash, the author of Between the Bars, who has shared in her own words uh, the tragedy of losing a child when she was six years old her daughter Elena, and how she has been able to move from that tragedy to a place of uh, walking through the grief uh, to understanding the dark night of the soul to a greater place of being part of a cause. Uh, Jennifer, um, for so many people, and I I see this often, especially in my ministry, it's one thing uh, when we are working with what we would consider the natural life cycle of we lose a grandparent, um, we lose a parent, and we know that on the physical plane, it's not easy to say goodbye to anyone that we love. Let's be real. I mean, it's by itself an entire process to go through. And I know that grief um, is very individual. We all have our ways in which we do it. And yet in my work here in St. Petersburg, I have seen the hardest grief for um, individuals to face is when they, it involves a child. What are some of the things that you and your husband were able to do that that helped you walk from how can we move on, how can we cope, uh, how can we process to a place of feeling that you had walked through the grief enough to be able to reflect upon the entirety of uh, the benefit that Elena had brought you with her life. That's that's a long question, but I, I know intuitively you know uh, what I'm looking for. I, I think I do, and I, you know, 
I did not handle my grief in a, in any way that I would necessarily recommend initially, but then again, I look at things like that as your individual path. I think that each of us, when dealt that card, whether it be a mother, a sister, a brother, a child, you you handle things in the manner that, that you are able to. Uh, I think that there are always lessons and gifts. I think if anyone had said to me at the time, one day you're going to look back on your daughter's death and you're going to find something very good that came out of it, I would have just, you know, gone absolutely psychotic on them. Absolutely. And, you know, people used to say specific phrases that just would drive me crazy, like, she's in a better place, or at least you had her for five years. And I so desperately wanted to say, you know, how many years would you choose to have your child? Five is not enough. I want 35. I want 55. And the bottom line is that, you you know, your child isn't supposed to go before you. And I think that anybody that experiences that would tell you that. And initially, my grief was diverted. I escaped through medication. I escaped through being numb. I didn't want to think about it. My husband, Jim, actually went the opposite direction. He was depressed. He wanted to talk about it all the time. He was so fearful that somebody was going to forget her. And you know, I think either one of those ways people look at you as if you're doing it incorrectly. You know, it, with Jim, it would be, oh, no, here comes that dad that wants to cry and sob and tell you his sad story. And with me, it was, can you believe she went back to work a week after her daughter died and, you know, she's having another baby and she's doing this and she's doing that. And, I, you know, I don't think that anyone does it right, wrong, well, um, uh, poorly. I think that if you can manage to walk through it, and you and I had that conversation before, if you can if you can walk through and manage to come out on the other side, whatever has whatever the catalyst was that got you there is somehow going to create a life lesson and a and a pleasure of sorts in in some way you never could have imagined. And, you know, my husband, Jim, would he was seeking the answer to afterlife. He wanted to talk to Holocaust survivors. He wanted to talk to people who had been through such horrible things. And, you know, he wanted to go to Compassionate Friends. I got kicked out of Compassionate Friends. I was mm-hmm. not compassionate. Mm-hmm. Nobody in there was had a story as bad as mine. And I remember, you know, I look back on that now and think, Oh, I can't even believe I I would have thought that at any point. But I remember the story of a of a mother who lost both of her children to a car a truck accident and basically was accepting some responsibility for making a poor choice that led to the to the death of her children. And when they were discussing the fact that her children's ashes were delivered to her in a UPS box. I remember hearing that story and thinking, it's not as bad as mine, when in fact it was 
every bit as bad as mine, and obviously in many respects 30 times worse than mine. But my story was my story and my pain, and it wasn't as bad to anybody else as it was to me, and as, as was that mother's. And I think the gift of time gives you the ability to see that. And some people don't make it. Some people don't make it to that gift. I, I grew up, my family, we lost my brother to a boating accident when we had just moved to Florida, and he was 18. He was about to go to college, and had we, been, had we moved just a little bit earlier, he would have enrolled in college and not been available to go on that boating trip. And they never found his body. And my parents were devastated, and my father succumbed to alcoholism at that point in his life. And he continued to march through his, his life, drinking when he could. And, you know, he wasn't a drinker that every day, he wasn't an every day, I'm going to drink until I'm drunk kind of drinker. He managed to go to work, but he would come home. He had his rituals. And he essentially, he lost himself in grief. He needed that self-medication. And the irony of that, my mother had a suicide attempt, and and there were all of these parallels. But my family's coping mechanism was to not speak, not talk about it. Everything was removed. There was no outlet. And I was kind of left in that as a small child to kind of cope and, and find my way out of that grief. So, you know, a large part of what I do now is is geared towards siblings who've lost someone because they also are, you know, victims of a terrible occurrence in their life. And, you know, families can fall apart and families can, you know, many, can take many, many avenues that they never expected that they would take. And I think that it brings you to the point of, of realizing that, you know, some people don't find their way out. And... Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to find a recovery-based program that brought me back to faith, and it brought me back to myself, and that saved my life. It, it saved, it altered the life of my family in general. It, it's given me a better marriage. I'm a better mother. I'm a, a better person. And had I not found my way back, I'm not. I'm not so sure I would be. You know, sitting here chatting with you about the things that, that are as important as they are now. Oh, absolutely. And one of the key things that I just wanted to go back and, and highlight, and I, again, appreciate your candor and your, uh, your just being in the space um, to share the story with us and about your life, is that um, it's so important for people, especially people that, that refer to themselves as spiritual to really understand how to respect people when they're grieving. And you had said this just a few minutes ago of how people will say some of the most demeaning things, um, meaning well, you know, and I think that's real important when we're looking at people that want to move from good to amazing is to please, um, Take uh, courses, read, uh, study, and learn about how to treat others when they're grieving. 
because um, you're so right, Jennifer. Um, it, it makes it so much harder to deal with when people say things that you wonder, how could you have possibly said that to me, right? I mean, um, well, they're better off now, or, well, at least they won't be hurting now, or, well, you know where they are. You know, I, I had someone say that to me not too long ago because a good friend of mine who was 89 died. And, oh, my heart was hurting. I just, you know, it's just the walls of my chest felt like they were opening up. And I was, it was um, unexpected, you know, that she passed. And, again, not that that makes any difference with the, the level of grief, but it really caught me off guard. And the first thing somebody said to me was, well, at least you know she's in a better place. And I I'm thinking, what does, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I don't know where exactly. she is right now. The point is, and why I'm grieving, is she's not here with me. <laughs> so I'm grieving that because I still consider myself a human being, you know, walking in this physical dimension, and it's a loss to me. And I think that's key, and I think it's key with what you're saying, I think it's key with what you're talking about referring to your husband, is that every person has a different way of coping, they need different skills, uh, they need different modalities um, to walk them through it, um, in order to get through whatever the time is, and for you it may be six years, for Jim it could be three, but it's very different with every person. So I just wanted to highlight that because I often think if, if um, unity and, you know, ministry wasn't my life work that I would want, you know, teaching people about holding grief for others, that that would be um, so key. You've been, and the, yeah, and the, you and the Elena Tresh Foundation since 2005 have been supporting um, families, siblings, when they are facing these kind of experiences in their own lives. Have you found, because to me I think this is another aspect of grief, have you found that through telling your story over and over again and to the families that approach you and to the people that give to your foundation, has that helped you heal layers also? It has helped me beyond anything I could really begin to explain. I, you know, in 2005 when this started, I wanted to come out gangbusters and change the world. And I realized that I really wasn't ready to do that. I'd formed the foundation, but I realized mentally I really had no strength underneath my belt, so to speak, to make that happen in a way that would would be fruitful and organized. I was still very fragile, I think, and, and trying to, to sort my way out of, of post-recovery and dealing with what that was bringing to my life. And I think that I met I got a call one day, and we were getting ready to start, and I got a call from some a mother that went to school with my kids. Her kids and my kids went to school together, and she said, I think our neighbor's child has the same thing that your daughter had. Would you be willing to talk to them? And I said, absolutely. 
and I realized at that point, this is kind of a tell-all sign of, am I going to feel worse when I get back into this reality, or is it going to make me feel better? And essentially, I got a call. It was from the father who had a daughter that was just four. She was in the same hospital room, had the same doctor, had the same tumor, the same terrible life expectancy projection, looked like my daughter, acted like my daughter, it liked the same things as my daughter, had a big picture of a ballet ballerina just like my daughter did. That, and it was very evident to me that that was reaffirming. This is definitely something you need to explore. And getting to know this family gave me the opportunity to realize that there was nothing I could have done differently to save my child. And how many people would have that gift? I fell in love with this family. I fell in love with this little girl. I was able to be with them when she died. I was able to tell them what to expect. I was able to help them fight. I was able to help them, give them encouragement when they didn't have it. I was able to hold their hand. I cry even talking about it. I was able to cry with them. And I was able to let them know that you will make it through this. And that, to me, was the moment that said, okay, now you know what you're going to do. Now you can spend the next 10 years trying to do it in an organized manner. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm working on now, trying to be more organized. So when um, someone contacts you through jennifertresh.com, um, first of all, I'm sure there are a number of people that right now are having situations in their family and would benefit from knowing more about the work that you are doing as well as the Elena Tresh uh, Foundation. Um, do they receive uh, counseling or is there a physical place that they go? Um, or what does that look like? Well, we, we just started. We've always done counseling to a degree. It's not ever been something that we marketed because we really weren't organized enough with enough support to do it in a, in a large way. Now we've gone through a lot of growing pains over the last year and a half, and we've restructured to the point where we actually are able to do it. And the nice thing about it is that we do it in three languages, and our clients are not bound by that, you've got to pay that bill or you can't come. And that was always a big thing for me working in mental health for quite some time was being able to treat people who couldn't afford treatment. It was great as long as you had insurance, but if you didn't have insurance, that, that's where the problem started and the fight began. And we don't really have to worry about that. You know, we will ask our families to you know, do the disclosure, but we will also say, look, if you can volunteer at this event or you can do this, you know, this is what, what we can do. And, you know, kids don't necessarily want to sit down and talk about their feelings, but what's exciting about working with our kids through our program is that we do it through arts and crafts and we do it through now we're, we're entering horses, which is a very exciting um, new development. Oh, and yeah, that makes such a, a difference with, um, with helping uh, 
children and coping with their their feelings. I'm so grateful to hear that you're able to find different ways in which you can support the family and that though the financial aspects are important, there's other avenues. We're going to go to break. Um, I'm Temple Hayes from Good to Amazing, and you'll want to come back for this last portion as we talk more with Jennifer Tresh. If you've tuned in for Touching the Stillness with host Reverend Paulette Pipe, then you know the power of her soul-stirring meditations. And if her programs leave you wanting more, you can purchase her meditation CD, Touching the Stillness, and you'll be able to take Paulette's calming voice along with you wherever you go. This enthralling CD contains three separate self-contained meditations that can either be listened to in one sitting or one at a time. Whatever your preference, Paulette's mesmerizing voice will transport you beyond thoughts and sounds to a sacred place of stillness and soul remembrance. So go ahead, enliven your meditation practice with the Touching the Stillness CD from Reverend Paulette Pipe and let the stillness touch you. To obtain your copy, go to www.unity.org and click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on shop. What is the secret to happiness? Why do bad things happen to good people? What is our purpose in life? What must I do to bring healing into my life? Join Rev. Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday for a metaphysical romp. Explore fundamental unity principles put into action through real-life scenarios from people like you. Call in with your questions and spiritual challenges, and let Paul take you on a journey of profound personal understanding and transformation. That's Metaphysical Romp with Rev. Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to From Good to Amazing with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Well, welcome back, everyone. We're spending the afternoon with Jennifer Tresh, author of Between the Bars, um, a novel regarding real-life events that have um, moved her from a place of tragedy um, to a cause and losing a child uh, that was only six years old and moving Jennifer and her husband to creating a foundation which will support families and siblings in coping with loss um, relative to their family. Jennifer, it's been really a pleasure to have you on uh, this afternoon and and just to hear your how you have moved from pain to purpose. It's pretty incredible because you are right in exactly what you have said. There's a lot of people that when they go through a huge loss and um, death and or loss of so many things, um, a lot of people don't come back. And so I, I salute you with the greatest amount of humility that not only did you come back, 
um, but you became on fire for a purpose of uh, making a difference and making Elena's life matter. I wanted to address a elephant in the room, though, um, because you, in your journey of being so committed and wanting to make a difference, uh, you've not always uh, faced publicly um, people that are really uh, behind you. You have faced some uh, adversity out there along the way, and uh, I understand what that's like because I have faced the same on my own journey, believing in what I'm about and and teaching the spiritual laws that I teach. Um, I made, I upset a couple of people along the way who decided to create a lot of uh, their own um, spin on things and their own stories. And what we find today, this day and time, is that these kind of stories can be put on the Internet. And uh, it's so not fair but yet, I'm reminded of a story that uh, Abe Lincoln said in reference to, you know, the people that were opposing him, is that it reminded him of that horse fly on the horse. It makes the horse work harder. So, just what I would like to say um, to those individuals that are not so kind out there in the world is uh, thank you. Uh, Jennifer and I thank you. Because... Um, it makes us want to do what we're doing more and do it better. Jennifer, so hats off to you and how you continue to walk through that because um, you're about making a difference and you're about bringing light to the world. And every now and then we face some shadow stuff. That's for sure. That's some of the great teachings in the Bible. You were telling me a story about uh, watching Joel Osteen. And what was he saying about... uh, People who who want to dislike you. What is the best medicine to do about that? Well, it, it was very interesting um, because I was having a conversation with someone about um, Joel Osteen just the other day, and I was getting ready for bed and turned on this TV, and it was kind of late, and there he was, and the message was just all about getting to the point where you realize what you're doing is right with you and not trying to make everyone like you or not trying to please everyone and doing everything the way someone else wants you to do it, acknowledging your mistakes, acknowledging that you are right with yourself and right with God. And at that point... There's really nothing else you can do. And he was talking about Saul, actually. It was a biblical story. And he was talking about needing to have that strength to just rise above and realize that when you are spending that negative energy on any anything other than that, it, it's just making things not right in your world, in your world, in how you perceive your world and how you, how God perceives your world is really what, what it's about. And that was extremely helpful to me. Um, I don't claim to be someone that didn't make a lot of mistakes. I've, you know, I've made mistakes. I think I've walked down that road, roads that I shouldn't have walked down or roads that I wish I, I could turn around and change my course. But ultimately, 
my course is my course. And someone told me recently, uh, or actually they didn't tell me, I was listening to them uh, speak, and they said, I think that's why they're called rear view mirrors, so that you can glance back but not stare. They make it small. It gives you some reflection to learn to move forward. And I think it's all it's connected to what we were just talking about with grief and loss. It, I could never have thought that something so beautiful would come from my daughter's death. It's not a sad story anymore. Mm-hmm. I heard Christopher Reeve's wife talk about that once and, and how his accident was not the tragic sadness that it was in the beginning, that it was the catalyst that made things happen. It was part of the evolution and part of the change that was created in the world. And to be able to say that you make change in anybody's world, I think, is huge. And I, you know, I talked to a father the other day I met for the first time through a friend of mine, and he's facing a diagnosis that's terminal in his child. And I think that just my energy at the time of being able to say, it's all small stuff. You know, it's all small stuff, dude. We're, these, are ish, these are things you can overcome. These are things you can do. These are the, this is the easy stuff. Having someone say that to you, it's like, yeah, okay, you're right. You're right. It is easy. Yeah, uh-huh, I can do it. And it gives you that that movement of, going forward. And if I can make a difference in someone's world, whether it's just a child that's, you know, Christmas wish list was a we, if I can make that happen or I can make those things happen, that to me is beyond anything I could have ever accomplished with 300 college degrees and, you know, 400 jobs of, you know, importance. And And, and the tragic, the tragedy or anyone trying to take away from that is really not my tragedy. You know, it it becomes my job to carry that message and my job to to work hard and be right with myself and right with God. And that's what I have to do. And it any any hardships or challenges have have catapulted me at times when I needed that boost. So as you said, thank you for those catalysts that helped me propel myself. And I think that that's key also in people moving from good to amazing is understanding that when you're about a cause, when when there's a fire within you that is so great and so huge that you are very clear that it, in essence, is the very thing that you came here to do, um, you have to stay grounded in the knowledge that not everybody is going to like you. If everybody likes you, it it means you're not really being authentic and you're not being true to yourself. That's for sure. And when we look at uh, the great leaders that we've known in our society, um, I doubt Mother Teresa thought about every little thing she said and thought, oh, I hope everybody's okay with this. Or, you know, look at what Martin Luther King endured and all the protesters and people against him time and time again. But yet there was the dream within him that was so much more than uh, just the day-to-day stuff. 
And that was one of the very things when I was uh, reading about you that really uh, caught my attention is look at this person that, you know, has had so much happen in life but is driven by purpose. And it's just so exciting to see all the differences that you're making in, in the families and everything. And it's so important to keep those accolades and those stories close by. So on any given day, you can read them um, to fire you up. Because if you're like me, it only takes one nice email along the way and you go, oh, this is why I do what I do. Exactly. Right? <laughs> it energizes you to go do some more, that's for sure. And I, I love a quote from Mother Teresa that actually is in my book in a chapter called Inspirationals and where she says that, I know that God doesn't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> I love that <laughs> one. I, think I do too. I love that one. That, that's so true. The same God that's talking with us is the same God that's walking with us. That's yeah. for sure. And it sounds like your walk is just becoming more and more bountiful all the time. And I just want to remind everyone once again that you can go to jennifertresh.com and find out more about this incredible foundation uh, that it she sounds, is a Can part I give of. you the foundation website? Absolutely. Because Jennifer Tresh is actually my, my book's website. Okay. So, yes, please um, do that. The, and the book has been donated to the foundation. The proceeds go to the foundation. But it's uh, www.elenatresh.org. Elenatresh.org. E-L-E-N-A-T-R-E-S-H.org. Well, you definitely have um, tremendous courage, Jennifer, and um, I have heard often, uh, one of my teachers used to say that our, our goal in life is not to change all the problems of the world, but more said to know that the world is a better place because we have been in it, and I definitely would like to say thank you because I know the world's a better place because of the messages that you are bringing and the differences that you're making with the families. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and for listening to me babble on. I'm, I'm very grateful. Very grateful. Thank you. Well, I truly believe that you have um, such a great story uh, to impart to people and also um, the idea of that you can, you can walk through life and you can walk through the hard times and you can do it without medication and you can do it without numbing. Um, but the greatest way in life for us to reveal is to allow ourselves to feel. Oh, that was nice. How about that? that there came just that a quote. Was very nice. I need to write that one down. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm writing it down. So any other um, final idea that you have um, that we could take with us? Uh, those of us that are even out there right now that are going through a challenging time, Jennifer, some words of wisdom you would like to impart to us? I think that I go by the strengths of women before me, Anne Frank, and you know some of these women that lived through tragic times and, and found their self, found ways to 
inspire, ways to motivate. And, you know, for me, I think that the notion that you can survive anything and you can do it with grace and you can do it with purpose uh, is, is powerful. And the only way you learn those, you, you can begin to believe those things is to hear people who have gone through some really tragic, terrible things and can say, you know, I made it. And I may not have made it perfectly, but that's okay. It's all right. You know, the mistakes were okay. The mistakes helped me grow. And it's an eternal process of growth. It, it truly is. And I, you know, I'm very grateful I, for the lessons every day. And I just, if I can stay in gratitude and I can be thankful for the things that, that provide me that motivation, then I don't need anything else. Um, staying in gratitude is what I need to be reminded of mostly. Well, thank you, Jennifer Trash, for making it, and thank you for walking the walking the walk and talking it. So it's been my pleasure to have you on, on my show. And again, this is Temple Hayes. Thank all of you for joining From Good to Amazing. Please share this um, wonderful hour with people that you know that may be hurting or going through something with someone that they love who has an illness or a loss. And feel free to join us next week. And for those of you that are moved by Unity Online Radio, please feel free to continue to make your donation. We appreciate you supporting this great work. Thank you for tuning in to From Good to Amazing with Reverend Temple Hayes. Join us every Monday at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern for more tools to move your life from good to amazing. This program is brought to you in part by Temple Hayes Ministries online at www.templehays.org and First Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, online at www.unitycampus.org. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, It's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Rev. Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio 
the voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.